The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Welcome back to Guts and Glory. Today we have a very exciting episode. We have Mina Mawani, who is the president and CEO of Crohn's and Colitis Canada. And we also have Dr. Laura Togodnik, who is the clinician scientist and gastroenterologist at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto and the division director um, for gastroenterology at the University of Toronto. Hello, everyone. I'm Chantal Wicks, and this is Guts and Glory. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for joining me. Um, I know that the Guts 2019 conference this weekend has been quite busy, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you for having us. So let's start with talking about the impact IBD report in Canada that Crohn's and Colitis Canada has been working on. And I know, Dr. Togodnik, you have been on this. um, You wrote a chapter or co-wrote a chapter as well. So what were some of the findings that we found in there? I'll let... uh... I know that we had uh, co-authors from across Canada, so we're very grateful that CCC has such a network of incredible clinician scientists and scientists who worked on that report with us. And uh, I think uh, Dr. Targona can actually speak on some of the things that we found from that report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was a, you know, a very comprehensive report that was put out in 2018, the uh, main authors being Dr. Eric Benchamol and Dr. Gil Kaplan at uh, the University of Ottawa and Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, as well as the University of Calgary, respectively, um, who uh, assembled a team of gastroenterologists, other uh, healthcare services researchers, and patients to try to get a sense of the full impact of inflammatory bowel disease across Canada. And it was a very comprehensive report. It looked at a variety of different angles, including things like the epidemiology, who like who has inflammatory bowel disease, who's getting inflammatory bowel disease, how are people living with inflammatory bowel disease, looking also at things like how um, how are people with inflammatory bowel disease interacting with the healthcare system. So looking at things like um, what types of medications are they using, um, how often are people ending up in a hospital or having surgery, um, and then also looking at the economic implications of it, uh, which would include things like the direct costs, which is how much money are we spending directly directly on the medical care of people with inflammatory bowel disease. Because IBD is not cheap. Because IBD is not cheap, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, But also on the indirect costs, which is how does IBD affect things like the ability of someone to participate in the workforce or to reach their educational potential, um, or the amount of money that it takes to, um, if you're the caregiver of a child or an elderly person with inflammatory bowel disease, the impact uh, that has on your life. And then there's also the things we refer to as intangible costs. So these are things like uh, your quality of life, um, your ability, your your mood. Um, So the way that inflammatory bowel disease impacts you in ways that are difficult uh, like mental health. To, yeah, you're like yeah. mental health, and like that are difficult to put a, a precise dollar cost on. Right. Um, so all these things are important when we're measuring things like the impact of IPD. And then we also uh, took a look at things like uh, what is the current research environment for inflammatory bowel disease in Canada? So what are the kind of things we're uh, researching? Where have there been focused areas of research? And what are the current research gaps? So these are things that researchers and patients have worked together on to decide what are the main questions that we should be focusing our attentions on over the next few years so that we make sure that the research we do is serving 
the needs of our patients living with inflammatory bowel disease. And I know last year we actually did a Guts and Glory episode all about the impact of IBD reporting Canada. So we mm-hmm. have like a full hour where we, we talked about all of the different like prevalences, like how it's rising mm-hmm. in children ages zero to five and how the aging population, because IBD is not a disease that goes away. Mm-hmm. So we have people who have been diagnosed who are now elderly um, and what kind of care that looks like and how people are taking care of it's I, I actually did read the whole 200 and something pages <laughs> of the report. Uh, I know on Crohn's and Colitis Canada's website, they have a breakdown of kind of the main points. Um, but, you know, even finding it, it was a whole encompassing, not just across the country, but it took a real snapshot of the past, the present and the future mm-hmm. and really where the issues lie and where we need to start focusing our attention. Yeah. And was there anything else that you wanted to mention about the report that stood out to you? Well, I think, you know, from, um, I I think what we at Crohn's and Colitis Canada really want is for governments to see that IBD needs to be a focus in Canada. The rates are rising incredibly, as you talked about earlier. 1% of the population in Canada by 2030 will have Crohn's or colitis. Which is like 403,000 people, I think I saw. Yeah, yeah, over 403,000 people are going to have this. Children are rising in in incidence and even uh, elderly people. And then one of the things that Dr. Targona talked about earlier is really around the South Asian population and Mm -hmm. Asian population are increasing in incidence as well. And so I think these are some of the things that we need governments to sort of uh, pay attention to and invest more in IBD research in Canada. We know that there's not much investment by the government in IBD research in Canada. Canada, uh, Crohn's and Colitis Canada funds most of the research in Canada. And uh, and of course, uh, we're we're the second largest health charity funder of um, Crohn's and Colitis research in the world. Of course, uh, Canadian Institutes for Health Research funds IBD research but not as much as they do for other disease conditions. So we really want them to say, we want to make an investment in Crohn's and colitis research in Canada, fund our investigators, fund our clinician scientists and our researchers, because we know that if this funding doesn't come to Canada for these researchers, these great minds will leave Canada to go to other places where they'll be able to find funding, or they may switch uh, their uh, focus of research and leave IBD. So I think what we want to say is that IBD is becoming um, more and more prevalent in Canada, and we need to start focusing on it, and we need governments to pay attention and put more funding into this research. And this is where us listeners, us IBD warriors, this is where we come into play. You know, November being IBD Awareness Month, um, and I know at Guts 2019, they mentioned um, the lettering campaign. You know, it's our voices that need to reach out to our MPs and our government and really back up our voice to say, like, this is a real disease. This is serious. You need to pay attention to us. Don't ignore us. We need to come out of our private silent rooms and we have to start advocating for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only so much that things that Crohn's and Clays can, 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 can do and our gastroenterologist can do. It's now time for us to step up to the plate, the patient, to give our patient voice um, and really start advocating. I personally believe that if we do put our voice to these things, something will happen. 
There is strength in mass. Yes, I I think that um, patients tend to undersell themselves and they think I'm only one patient, what can I do? And I think that governments, uh, in some instances, in in the whole biosimilar biologics discussion, have have counted on that, that patients will not speak up. And uh, you have to know that your voice is significant. So the more people, the more patients that decide to be active in this space, we need to have your voices heard, send letters to your MPs and your MPPs, and tell them that we need more funding and research. We need uh, more uh, investment in the work that our clinicians scientists do that our scientists do and how do we uh, improve the quality of care in Canada if there's not going to be that investment in IBD in Canada and it's hard for you know I, I find governments across everywhere really they have a really hard time looking long term and we see that with a lot of other issues like climate action and things like that and you, you know we have a report that's specifically saying in 10 years ish from now this is going to be one percent of the population of this country so you can't run from it so you have to start preparing for it now we cannot wait 10 years from now because then it's too late and then the the strain and the stress on the system is going to be more than what it is now so um dr tarkovnik you had talked about costs you alluded to (laughs) i i had said ibd is not cheap uh, as an ibd patient myself even though i'm very grateful for the uh, insurance that i do have There have been things in my life that have been very expensive um, as a patient, so I can't imagine what that strain is as well. So, you know, when we're looking at costs, you know, there's a few different ways that it's important to to understand them. And because if you just look at a raw number, you say, well, that's a lot of money we're spending on IBD. But we also have to look at things like value. So when we're spending money on IBD, we have to look at what we're getting for it. And also, what is the most efficient way of spending this money that we're making sure that for every dollar we spend, we're spending that dollar in a way that helps patients most. Right. So when we look at IBD, you know, in this country, one of the one of the conclusions from the IBD impact report is that when you looked at the direct costs of care um, and the indirect costs of care in the 2018, as he estimated them, they thought we were spending about $1.2 billion across the country on just hospital care, medications, um, uh, you know, dated your doctor visits, colonoscopies, right. etc. The, the general, the general IBD, IBD stuff. care. Yeah, okay. But we were also spending probably around $1.2 million as well on the indirect costs of care. And these were things like people taking early retirement, so not being able to, to work right. to their full, uh, you know, as much as they were, would have been able to if they were, hadn't developed a potentially disabling disease. Did you mean $1.2 billion? Did I, I, I thought I said $1.2 billion with a B. Billion. Yes. So basically the exact same amount, yes. essentially. Yes, um, wow. people who uh, go to work but aren't able to work to their full potential. Um, people who may change their career choice because they think the impact that inflammatory bowel disease might have on their lives. Because stress. And, yeah, and people who are missing work, like I said, to take care of their children or uh, elderly people with inflammatory bowel disease or other important people in their lives like a spouse. Um, right. So it has a huge impact on how much money we're spending. Now, when we look at what we're actually spending on inflammatory bowel disease, one of the main things that's changed over the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years is we're definitely spending a lot more money on medications. Mm-hmm. And those medications are primarily things like the biologic drugs, uh, which have had a huge impact on the lives of people with IV in a, in a, in a undeniably way. positive yes. uh, way. 
but they are expensive. Absolutely. And so when we look at what the cost of inflammatory bowel disease, it's risen quite a lot. Hospitalizations have gone down. The number of people getting surgery has gone down, which is great. Quality of life, Quality of life has probably gone way up. Right. Um, the problem is, is that when we look at these numbers, and part of the, and I'm sure we're going to come to this when we talk about biosimilars later, is people just look at this number and say, wow, we're spending a lot on IBD, we've just got to stop spending so much money. I think right. where it comes, what's important for us as researchers and patients is to how can we better make the case in terms of what impact that biologic therapies are having on uh, the lives of people with inflammatory mm -hmm. bowel and what we're gaining on the other side in yeah, terms of value. Yeah, because if the indirect cost starts to go down, because now people are not retiring early. People are not having to take time off work to take care of their children who are ill. Yeah, people are staying in school longer. People and getting, are staying in school yeah. longer. So, so all these kind of things potentially are important and could lead to cost savings on the other side. And then it's not only about do we save money. We're not, you know, we shouldn't be looking at treating diseases as a way of how can we save money or, or turn a profit. Exactly. We have to learn <laughs> that sometimes we're going to spend money because it's making people's lives better mm -hmm. and there is value in making the lives of people better. And I think one of the things we need to do better as researchers and with the help of our patient partners is how do we better measure and demonstrate how these drugs are making people live better. Show that So that when we impact. say, yes, this yeah. costs money, but it's worth it. And the money that we save in terms of maybe preventing surgeries and preventing disability down the line is recovered in terms of what we're spending Absolutely. on these medications. Yeah. yeah. So that takes us, you know, it, it's, it's, everyone knows by now that um, the BC government um, has implemented the non-medical switch, or as I like to say, forced switching mm -hmm. um, from biologics to biosimilars, specifically with infliximab. Yes. Uh, Remicade. Yes. Um, and the biggest argument is the biosimilar is cheaper. And it's specifically looking, the government, from the government perspective, it's looking at that that number mm -hmm. that you said, Dr. Karami. Like just here's the number of how much this costs versus this is the number of how much a biosimilar costs. And it there is a drastic difference. Mm -hmm. Biosimilars are much um, cheaper. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a much more inexpensive way to go about it. Um, as somebody who's on my second biologic, you know, in my 12 years of IBD and the plethora of medications I've taken before that, um, the choice to go on a biologic wasn't an easy choice for me, um, you know, because it's a high-level medication, but mostly because I was worried if this doesn't work, there's nothing left for me. You know, you have that, that Im impression, and I've made the choice to go on a biologic for the second time, and to think that, you know, people in BC are being now told, you've made this choice to go on this biologic, but now we are forcing you to go on something else. And from what I've heard from the panel this morning, um, almost with little to no communication. Absolutely. I think that is uh, one of the big things that Crohn's and Cletus Canada is advocating on right now. We certainly understand the constraints on the healthcare system, and we are most certainly willing to work with governments on looking at uh, curbing costs for, for the populations. But what BC government has done is they've had very little discussion with patients, very little discussion with gastroenterologists, and very little discussions with organizations like ours, patient organizations that support patients. And, you know, when you think about a forced mandated switch from a biologic to a biosimilar, it is, it is something that we look at and say they, they are talking about cost savings. So I think that's what they, everyone is talking about is biologics are so expensive, biosimilars are on the market, and they're much cheaper, half the cost. What we're saying is that these are questionable cost savings because the originator biologic companies have come and have offered to match, match those prices. So our questions to the government are, 
One, why do a mandated switch? Why put patients through this turmoil? Companies have come and are negotiating prices with you. And so that those 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 savings become questionable at the end. And frankly, why not educate the population and all of us and have discussions with us around what you were planning to do? Why should governments make this decision when when it's the physicians who have gone to school for how many years they have the relationship with their patient? They know what the and as you've heard before, that IBD is very specific. In, in each individual. Of so, all the people I've met, I don't think I've ever met anybody who, like, word for word, has the same experiences as me. Same diet, same medication journey, same symptoms when we flare. Yeah. It's very individualized. It's very individual. And that's, your doctor knows you. Your Absolutely. doctor knows your body, and you know your body. So the people that we advocate for is to say that you and your doctor should make the decision whether or not you're going to switch to another biologic. And it should be it should be medically done. A joint decision. A joint Absolutely. decision. And what the government has done, it's a, it said basically patient we don't care about what you have to say and gastroenterologist we don't we're looking you know, at we the bottom line we're of looking our at the bottom line of our yeah. budget which is questionable and making a decision that is really not in the best interest of patients and i know that crohn's and colitis canada has just recently released a joint statement with keg right the canadian association of gastroenterology um you know you're not neither are knocking biosimilars. No. You know, they, they, you said quite clearly that, you know, biosimilars are a, a medication that could definitely work for, as a treatment for patients with IBD. The, the issue is the forced switching mm-hmm. from patients who have found, whether it be remission um, or just symptom relief, on the current, like on Remicade that they're taking right now, after some, for some people, years. Mm-hmm. And now they're just being told your medication is switching. And I think what's important for our listeners to understand is that a biosimilar is not the generic drug. It's not a generic brand of the drug. I think there's a confusion there. Like I can buy Tylenol and get a gi- generic brand. Biosimilar versus biologic, they are not the same. They're similar but they are not the same. They're not equivalent. They're not equivalent at all. And I think that's uh, the first message, like understanding the terminology and understanding what's what's really happening. On the panel this morning, on the Ignite panel, you know, we heard from a mother with her daughter from BC, um, and she has been on Remicade for, I think, three years, she said now. And she's just been told that um, coming up in February, she's going to be taking the generic the biosimilar mm-hmm. of Remicade. And of course, this is something that her mom's concerned about. She's concerned about their fighting with the GI to try to all together advocate for this. But something that stood out for me, and I wrote it down actually because I was like, what? Um, it was noted that the biosimilar has not been tested on pediatrics. There is mm-hmm. no evidence to support how this impacts children, how this specific drug, biosimilar, impacts children. Yet her daughter is about to be forced to start taking that. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll just say that one of the things that we've talked about is when we did a survey of patients and physicians and nurses, we were told that um, there wasn't enough education for patients or or gastroenterologists or nurses across the country to understand why the government was doing something like this. And that they said that, of course, biosimilars have a space in in where in in medicine and and being able to be treating for Absolutely. IBD. But I think what was um, really stated is that each physician wants to make that decision with their patients because they all have different symptoms, different ways of treating the disease, and they were vehemently opposed to being switched to a biosimilar. And so we look at this and say that. 
there hasn't been enough information. We need more information. But I think from a perspective of biologics and biosimilars, I think, you know, Laura, you could probably give more information in terms of being tested on, on, on children. One thing that we heard from our gastroenterologists that we've spoken to is that there is there are exemptions, and the exemptions are for pediatric patients, for nursing mothers, and for pregnant, pregnant women. women. We went to the BC government. We told them that these are exemptions, and they have continued to mandate the switch in pediatric patients. <sighs> so you know, you know the the, the the BC situation. I agree is, is is fairly unfortunate in the terms of that, you know, the, the lack of consultation or the lack of consultation with the right people um, that sort of led to this, you know, this decision to be made that looked just, like I said, at the bottom line without really considering um, how, how the, the impact that this would have on people's lives. Uh, we, we all, there, there's increasing recognition about the importance of sort of the relationship between mental health as an example and inflammatory bowel disease. And one of the things is that when you've had disease that you're on a treatment that works and it's working well for a long time, that's very calming. It's calming psychologically. And then somebody tells you and we're going to switch it? Yeah. And so this, oh my gosh. yeah. So giving someone a disruption in, you know, in a disease where we know that your mental health is so important in terms of how it affects your disease behavior and how it affects your quality of life, without any, uh, with without any avenue uh, for the patient or the physician to say, hey, you know, every patient is unique. Let's consider the unique situation. Right. Let's here. approach this looking um, at you individually. Yeah. And you know, there may be patients in whom are perfectly fine who are who are saying, you know what, biosimilars. I read all about them. It sounds good. Let's try. It. Let's give it a try. Right. That's great. But that's um, their choice. But that's their, their choice. choice. And that's, that's right. and that's something they can work out between themselves and their physicians and their families. And then there's other people in whom the idea of switching anything in their lives is going to be a major source of stress and how that's going to make them feel. Now, you can even say, let's say the drug is, the, even if it is at doing the same thing inside on a cellular level, the very idea that you know that something has changed can be enough to yeah. make you feel unwell and to drive further investigations and to drive uncertainty about whether these medications are working, which might lead for you to then go on to another medication entirely. That and would, hospital stays, and ho yeah. costs going up. Yeah, that would not have been required or would if have necessary. you just would have left things alone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so in the idea of how can we better make decisions around biosimilars, I think there are ways where we can be more conscious of cost and figure out which patients are good candidates for a shared decision-making model where they can decide if they want to switch or not. Um, and for patients who are apprehensive about it, if the idea is purely about money, um, where we can sort of say, well, if you really do want to switch, here are the things we can do to walk you through this right. switch, right. as opposed to just making it a mandated switch. And even in the end, if BC does save a, a dollar or two uh, on doing this, I think what we really need to say is how is this money actually helping patients with inflammatory bowel disease? I know yeah. it's very abstract if I say, well, if you switch drugs, the government gets tens of thousands more dollars. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, well, what are they going to do with that tens of thousands of more yeah, dollars? Yeah, they're giving it back to me somehow? Gonna, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to spend it on IBD. But unless you actually see how they're spending it in IBD, that's all words. Right. So I, I think you can make a better case for why should a patient care about why, about saving money if you can actually show them when we save, let's say, a million dollars in IBD care, a million of it goes back to 
better patient care or to research or that's to right. patient support programs, yeah. um, which is not something that's really a part of this model. It's very abstract right now. But I think I've also said that it's questionable savings because the originator biologic companies have advised um, publicly that they've offered... They will reduce the cost. They will reduce the cost. And, uh, well, of course, they need to compete. Absolutely. Yeah. Competition, right? But I think the other piece I just wanted to mention is that we talked about exemptions. So the BC government has come back and said, well, you know, um, if uh, Dr. X can uh, has an exemption for their patient, then write it in and we'll look at them. And what we've heard from gastroenterologists is, one, they have seven minutes with a patient because uh, the number of patients that are being diagnosed with IBD, they have to have a visit within seven minutes. Then if they have to sit here and write a two-page, three-page, four-page report to say why their patients should be exempted from the switch, that the takes away time. And then the back and forth, exactly. And the back yeah. and forth that the government will come back and say, well, you know, let's go back and I need the 10 history years of, of the history. patient, exactly. the medication they've taken. It's just running down the GI. The GIs don't have that time no. to do all that work. No. And I think and that's with, what they're counting on. With IBD on the rise, you know, we have such a large number of people with, um, it's 270,000, I think, about right now in Canada. And our GIs are wonderful, but there's simply not enough of them. So they're trying to divide their time up amongst everyone, and now they're being asked to do this. You know, I, you know, when you talked about mental health, and I've said many times on the podcast previously, I do not, I flare because of stress. The most stressful moments in my life. When I'm teaching and it's report card time, I'm flaring. <laughs> you know, there's, there's specific moments in my life. If I'm having, you know, big arguments with my family or my husband, I flare. And I, in that, um, in the, the, conference we had earlier this morning in the Ignite panel, I went to the bathroom twice. Because oh, you got stressed. Because just the thought, like I literally, like even my, even talking about it now, my hands are sticky. My stomach is like, like I'm thinking we're going to have to take a break. But I've, it, it, just the thought of it. And I live in Ontario. I'm not in BC. I'm not on Remicade. I'm on a different biologic that there is no current biosimilar. But I listened to that mother who, you know, at one point was getting choked up and I standing there beside her daughter, the same age as the children that I teach. Mm -hmm. And I, I could like my heart and my stomach. It was just it was I, it's infuriating. Mm -hmm. It's such and it's it takes so much away from you. Yeah. And the, I've had such dark moments with this disease. You know, I've been in ICU and hospitalized many times and spread into my esophagus and awful things. Pancolitis, steroids for mm -hmm. seven years. I don't ever want to go back to that world. And if I, if this biologic starts working for me and then you tell me in a few years that you're just going to switch my medication and you're not going to allow me to give, don't give, you, you take the power away from me. I already have the power gone from me because my body has turned itself on me. You know, I can't, I can't even imagine. I don't even know what our BC listeners must be thinking. Well, see, this is interesting because even when you, what you heard from the mother and daughter this morning is that they left Alberta to go to BC for better health care, for better health care, yeah. to be in, to be with their family, to get support from family, and, and then they get there and, and now and now and and of course it's not even their GI or their nurse no. who has told them that they have to be switched. A pharmacist called them and said, "Oh, we've been told by government to call you to switch you," and they have no idea what that yeah, means. No one knew. They had they had said their clinic, like their the nurse at the clinic wasn't aware, mm -hmm. and they had just seen their GI doctor a week before. And they never mentioned anything because they had no idea. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. So I, I think, you know, I just want to bring up again sort of the strong work that Crohn's and Colitis Canada and uh, obviously all their patient volunteers, as well as with Ca that CAG has done in putting out the statement because 
all the other governments in the province, I mean, in the country, are looking at what's happening in BC. <laughs> and they're, what they're going to, what the, and I think it's important for us to try to guide what they're going to learn from watching this BC experiment. Are they going to learn that this isn't okay for everybody to do, for them to adopt this policy in Ontario and in Quebec and in Manitoba and abroad? Or are they going to see the, how this is impacting on patients and are hearing the patient voices and other advocates who've been affected um, and how it is affecting those patients? Because I think it's important for us to come with a strong voice here so that as um, sort of the, as the administrators in the health departments or health ministries across the country are watching what's going on we see is that what they're actually hearing is the voices of the patients. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you that as I've gone across the country and spoken to government officials around what's happening in Alberta, um, in BC, a lot of them haven't really given us a time of day or, or thought that these were of concern. I think what uh, exactly what you've just said is that they're watching to see BC, and BC has basically gone and told all the other governments across Canada that we, did that, that yeah. we didn't hear anything. Patients didn't say anything. Patient organizations didn't speak up. This is where you And that's not fair because they didn't know. When none of us knew. If and you so talk to patients in BC absolutely. right now, they, they would. When, when, yes. we, when we mentioned that earlier, like, I remember the mom on the panel, she was like, we had no idea. No exactly. one told. This wasn't news. Exactly. Like, if we knew this was coming. We would have been out there. But guess what? It's uh, Alberta is is making the switch policy announcement this week, upcoming week, and the end of October, right? Yeah. Yes, uh, uh, actually November first. Yes, yeah. right. Which for is, IBD Awareness Month. Exactly. And so <laughs> the issue is, is we just as Laura said, we actually have to get our voice out. We have to have patients write into this letter writing campaign. We have to make phone calls. I think what's important is it's one thing to go into our letter writing campaign and write letters. But the phone calls, if 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 uh, an MP's office, an put MVP's it on speed office, dial. Put Every it, time you know, we have a break, call, I am call just calling the premiers, to right, and say yeah. that this is this is not something that we support. Why is this being done? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we can you got you got the Crohn's and Clays Canada, of course, because they're so lovely, have made this quite easy for patients to do because Absolutely. you've on your website. Do you want to give the URL for sure. where the action? Sure. Our yeah. letter writing campaign can start at action.cronesandcolitis.ca slash choice. So you go there and there's actually a sample letter. You have the opportunity to personalize it, of course. You know, of course, I'll definitely have a personalized first opening paragraph, yes. maybe attach a picture to the email at the same time. Um, but it's made quite easy for you. Even if you don't have the time to personalize it, you copy and paste and you're sending this off easily. And this is not just for residents in Ontario, it's for residents across the country. Absolutely. It's not just for residents in BC and Alberta. But, you know, I feel like it's making its way east. Yes. You know, it's like yes. this trend, it's and, just, it's and coming. And I would say to you that as a patient, you'll be wanting to do this, but get your friends, your family, your, your employers, you know, if big employers. The people who love us. Who love yeah. you, you know, write in as well and say, this impacts my, my staff. Like as a teacher, you have to be present for your students. And, you know, your school board could write into the government and say, we need Chantal to be healthy, to be teaching our kids. Yeah. You know, these are the future generations. And, and I with think the that's Was it one in, and one in every 140? Right now, and probably one in one in every hundred by 2030. Right. So that's a lot of teachers in the school board. Absolutely. That's a lot. Of, we got a lot of sick butts in TDSB. Right. This is the truth. <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm assuming, you know, you support this, obviously, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think 
you know, the, having, you know, while I think it's important, like I said, to be aware of costs and the, and, the, and the importance of trying to save money, there are other ways of doing this. Absolutely. This is not probably the proper way. I, and I think anytime you make a big decision like this, it's so important to have full and informed uh, patients and physicians so that they're involved in the process. So to say, if, so if the government says, hey, we need to save money, we're spending too much money, I'm sure physicians and patients can give you a lot of different ideas Absolutely, on, on how, how we, we can save money and be more efficient in how we're spending that money in IBD. What is, that is not a force switch. I think about, it's not even just the patients that are going to be hit with this. It's also going to be the GIs because you guys are the ones on the ground. You know, they're going to have to be the ones that are going to take all of the patients coming in and being like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. You know, and we build our relationships with our GIs. No, you're right. Every minute that it we have to spend... It puts you in such an awful position. Yeah, that we have to spend talking about a four-switch policy is a minute we're not taking care of patients. That's so right. You, you can yeah. just imagine what I said, seven minutes of the patient, and now the patient comes in, and we're taking five to six or seven minutes talking about the switch policy. As and when they don't care. want to do it either, when they know right. their patient, and this isn't something that you want them to go through, but you're basically backed into a corner, and, mm -hmm. and there will be people who won't understand the issue, and they'll blame the GI. Yeah. They're going to, like... You know, you guys, I could see you getting the slack heavily here. Yeah. I think the, the, the thing that we have to do is to support our gastroenterologists because they don't want the switch either. And I think that we have to make sure that we voice our concerns to governments because I think um, taking this to your GIs and having the discussion is fine, but to make sure that they're not in the line of fire. They have not made this decision. That's right. Uh, they, they are working in the best interest of your health as, you, as a patient. So this is where we need to showcase to governments and, and, and voice your concern to governments that this is not right. And if it's coming from everyone, if it's coming from GI, if it's coming from big organizations like Crohn's and Clitus Canada, and it's coming from the patient, that's a threefold. Like, we're coming at you from all angles. You can't ignore us. Absolutely. So and your families and your absolutely. caregivers and your employers and your colleagues, like it has to come from everyone. So if you go to Crohn's and Clitus Canada's website, um, you can find the impact of IBD in Canada report on their website. You can find the short version and the full extended version if you really want to read the 200 and something pages like I did. Um, you can also access a previous episode that we've done with Guts and at Guts and Glory on the impact of IBD report in Canada. We have the call to action um, that's also available on Crohn's and Clitus Canada. The joint statement between Canadian Association of gastroenterologists and Crohn's and Clitus Canada is also available on the website so you can clearly see how they feel about this non-medical switch from biologics to biosimilars. Is there anything else? Social media at Get Gutsy Canada. Of course, follow Guts and Glory on Twitter and Facebook. Is there anywhere else that we should go? And is there anything we want to talk about for November IBD Awareness? Month? Well, I think November IBD Awareness Month, as you know, we do a lot of different things for our patients. And I think that, that this policy is such a important policy that we have to lend our voice to, that this is something that we're going to be focusing on in, during November Awareness Month, is to ensure that other governments do not follow. I mean, That's I right. really I really hope, my, my sincere hope is that Alberta will pause and say, we've heard from patients, we've heard from GIs, we've heard from the there's patient organizations. There's also not enough information to support this. That's right, that there's not evidence to support a switch and that we're going we're gonna to pause, we're going to stop, we're going to think, we're going to talk to people, and then we'll think about the policy. But we really need to make sure that Alberta doesn't follow through, and then that means if they don't follow through, if they pause, all the other provinces we'll will well. pause as well. Okay, ladies, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. The Guts 2019 conference is amazing. The Guts conference is always what I look forward to. Um, so I appreciate that you're taking the time for being here with us today and talking about this. Um, 
IBD warriors and the loved ones who are listening, this is no joke. This is a serious thing. We need to hear your voice. You need to stand up and shout for yourself or for others that you love, the people that care for you, the people who are associated with you. We need to prevent this from happening. We've worked so long to have doctor-patient voice and to have it taken away from us literally overnight is not okay. Uh, my stance as the host of Guts and Glory is that this is infuriating, this is ridiculous, and under no circumstances should something like switching us from a biologic to a bisimilar be forced upon us. Rather, it should be a conversation that you have with your GI and a decision that is made collectively. So if you agree with me, which I'm sure you do, you need to go on Crohn's and Colitis Canada's website, get the draft of the letter, start sending it, make phone calls, shout it loud. When you're at your Christmas party, you need to bring copies of it, distribute it amongst Christmas dinner, let everybody know that they need to advocate for you. Um, and don't get blindsided by the bottom line numbers because we know that there's a lot of extra components that feed into that. And it's not just about this drug being cheaper than another one. So thanks for listening, everybody. Strength and positive thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Guts and Glory. This podcast is produced by Bang Albino, Inc.